Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin coming to you on the Tuesday broadcast, and we are so excited about what the Lord is doing at Hickory Ridge Community Church, and God is continuing to bless us, and we are getting back to uh, our more normal routine, and uh, people are coming back to church, and people are being added to the church, and we are so excited about what God is doing at Hickory Ridge Community Church. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. Uh, This is part two of a message that we're calling Hope defined as home or hope defined as heaven. And uh, you know, the story of the prodigal son is a fascinating story. And I was sharing this with the men at Indian Creek Correctional Center. And I said, you know, Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, all these sinners start gathering around him. They want to hear what he had to say. But you know, when the sinners were gathered around, there was another group of people that also came along, and that was the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, Jesus was all-knowing. He knew exactly who was in that crowd. He knew exactly what they needed to hear. And so he gives them a trilogy of parables, Luke chapter 15. The first parable that he gives to them, uh, the Pharisees probably thought this was a wonderful parable, and it's called the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, This is the farmer. He has a hundred sheep. One of those sheep wander off, And what does he do? He leaves the 99 and he goes and gets that sheep and brings it back into the fold. And then a party takes place. Yeah, that lost sheep was found, brought back into the fold, and it's party time. Well, I'm sure that the Pharisees thought, well, I know who that lost sheep was. That's all those sinners that are here in our presence. Certainly that wasn't us. And we would go after that lost sheep like that farmer did, and we'd bring them on back to the fold. You see, they thought they were pretty good uh, self-righteous people. Well, then Jesus gives a second parable. And it's called the parable of the lost coin. First, we had the lost sheep, and a farmer went after and found the lost sheep. Then we have the parable of the lost coin. Ten coins, one is lost, and a search party ensues, and the lost coin is found. It's brought back, and you guessed it, a party takes place. And at this, the Pharisees are sure to be grinning and saying, oh, yeah, we'd go after that last coin. We are so wonderful. We are just amazing. You know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were so full of themselves. Uh, they were the self-righteous people of that day and age. But then Jesus gets to a third parable. Now, this third parable is really the parable that Jesus wanted them to understand. And Jesus was primarily not teaching this to the sinners at that time. You know, if you're a wretched sinner, right, if your life is really, really messed up, if you're like the prodigal son and you have lived a riotous life and you have cast off restraints and you've lost everything that you've had and you find yourself maybe in prison, maybe at the bottom of the barrel, maybe you find yourself losing everything, you know you need some help. Uh, There's no question in your mind. Uh, Maybe that's the reason why I love dealing with inmates, because these guys are not pretentious. They realize their life is really messed up. Not only is it messed up, but they are perpetual offenders. The other day, I was kind of discouraged because one of my guys had been released from prison, and now he's back in. He's reoffended, and he's back in. And, you know, I was so defeated. And I said, man, so I can't believe it. And then I looked up his record. I found this guy had been arrested 74 times. You know, if you've been arrested 74 times, uh, you can't say that the court's against me. You can't say that that uh, the, the system's rigged. Uh, you've been arrested that many times, and obviously there's a, there's a problem, Houston. Uh, there's something that's not exactly right in my life, and I need to hurry up and recognize just how far I am off track. Well, you see, the prodigal son, he recognized just how messed up he was. 
As a matter of fact, he's in that pig pen trying to recover, trying to get on the right track. The Bible says that he came to his senses. I love that phrase. So many times we're slow to come to our senses, but this prodigal son was in a pig pen. He was smelling like a pig. Can you imagine a Jewish boy in a pig pen? I mean, he fell out of place there, and he was hungry, and he says he was so hungry that he would have ate the nasty pods that was given to the pigs, but nobody offered it to him. As he comes to his senses, he says, you know, how many of my father's servants have it better than I do? He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going to say, Dad, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me on as a servant. Take me on as a slave. Maybe you can find a, a little room in the back of the, uh, the house or maybe the room of the garage or, or even that old shed in the backyard. Uh, maybe I can stay there and I'll, I won't be a son. I'll be a servant. I'll just keep working for my dad. I love the story of the prodigal son because the father saw him a great way off and he ran to him and embraced him and welcomed him home. That prodigal son never even had a chance to get out uh, all that speech that he prepared, that repentance speech, and uh, and next thing he knows, there's a party taking place. And the fatted calf has been killed. He's got a ring on his finger, the father's robe on his his shoulders. He says, man, I am welcomed back, not as a servant, but as a, a son. Well, you know, the interesting thing about the prodigal son parable is that in the lost sheep, the farmer went and found the lost sheep. In the lost coin, the woman went out and found the lost coin. When it comes to the lost son, nobody goes and searches for him. He had to come to his own senses. Now, it wasn't the father's responsibility to go after his son. It was the older brother, the responsible one, that should have gone after his brother. You know, way back in the, in the early pages of the Bible, We discover that Adam and Eve had two sons, and they had the first murderer. That's right. Cain kills Abel. And God goes after Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, he knew he was. That's why he asked that question. You know, we are responsible for our brother and sister in Christ. You know, if you bring somebody back into the fold, a sinner comes back into the fold, you are blessed. Well, I want to talk to you today about the second part of heaven. The Bible mentions the word heaven 622 times. And as we look at the Bible's use of the word heaven, it refers to one of three places. Number one is the atmospheric heaven. That would be where the the sky is, where the birds fly. Number two will be the celestial heaven. Uh, That's the outer space. As we look up and we see the stars and the moon, that's the celestial heaven or the second heaven. And then there's the, the third heaven, which is the home of God. That is beyond outer space. As a matter of fact, John talks about this. Paul talks about this. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the Corinthian believers, I was caught up in the spirit one day, and he finds himself in the third heaven, and he's given a glimpse as to that beautiful place called heaven, the home of God. Well, I want you to know, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, He goes and he sells everything so that he can buy it. Well, yesterday we learned that in heaven, everything is brand new. John says, I saw that new heaven and that new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there were no longer any sea. Now, isn't that interesting? No longer any sea. 
I asked the men at Indian Creek as I was teaching them on Sunday, I said, why in the world do you think there is no sea, no ocean in heaven? Well, one of them says, well, you think about the ocean. The ocean provides a whole lot of food, right? We get a lot of of our food out of the ocean. He says, in heaven, we're not going to need any food. Maybe the reason there's no sea in heaven is because we don't need what the sea produces. One of the other guys says, you know, the ocean has got a lot of salt in it. And salt is always a purifier. And salt purifies things. And in heaven, we won't need to be purified because we're going to have a glorified body. I said, man, those are all, uh, those are two good answers. But my research, I came up with this. The reason there's no sea in heaven is because whenever we look at the sea in the Bible and in biblical times, the sea or the ocean always represented storms and, and tribulation and instability, right? As a matter of fact, James says this, don't be double-minded. He talks about when we ask God for something and we're dual-minded, we're like that sea of the ocean, driven, tossed, and fro. James says, don't let that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Double-minded people get nothing from the Lord. In heaven, there is no double-mindedness because we have the mind of Christ. Oh, I want you to know, heaven is a beautiful place where all things are made new, and heaven is a big place. It is 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep. Heaven is plenty big enough to occupy all of humanity, but unfortunately, only those who know Christ are going to heaven. Only those whose name is written in the land's book of life will find themselves in heaven. That place where there's a new heaven, there's a, a new earth. The old things are done away with. All things have become new. Well, there's something else about heaven that also begins with the letter N. Not only is everything new in heaven, but heaven is a place where God is near. Ah, David the psalmist said this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. David said, even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You know, this this weekend, I did a funeral for a man who passed in our church. And, and I was thinking about this verse as I was preparing for that message. And, and David said, yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. I thought about the preacher many years ago, whose wife preceded him in death. They had two young children, and this pastor was devastated, and he was given the the opportunity to speak at his wife's funeral. At the conclusion of that funeral service, he was driving home with his two children. The two children in the back seat as the dad is driving back home. Everyone in the car is brokenhearted. The dad comes to a, a train crossing. The gate goes on, and he stops. And the children ask him, where is mom? Why do we have to go through such a difficult time in, in saying goodbye to her? The dad, not exactly sure what to say to his young children, but wanting so much to bring them comfort during this difficult time, said, you know, we are stopped here at this train. And the psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. He said to his children, he says, as this train goes by, have we been hit by this train? The children says, oh, no, we're, we're stopped and we're far enough back from the train. The train hasn't hit us. He says, you're right. 
But as this train has been going by us, the shadow of that train has covered our, our vehicle. We're in the shadow of that train. Death is kind of that way. He says, we don't actually experience true death. We experience that shadow of the valley of death. Oh, I want you to know, if you're listening to this broadcast right now, there are two deaths that you will experience if you don't know Jesus. Death number one is that physical death. Physical death is what most of us one day will go through. If you live long enough, one day you're going to face death. You will physically die. You're probably not going to make it past 100 years old. Your body will die one day. That's the shell. That's the outer part of you. But there's another part of you that's going to live on. That soul, the real part of you, is going to live on. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you won't experience the second death because that soul will be right up in heaven. That's where Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul talks about that sting of death, right? He says, praise be to God. He has given us the victory. Death no longer has that sting, right? Oh, I love that. Death, the sting has been taken out. You know, there's another dad who was driving down the road one day with his kids in the car, and all of a sudden, a wasp flew into that car. The children were petrified. The dad, with his big old hand, just reached out and grabbed that wasp and, and clutched it into his hand. He held it in his hand for just a few minutes, and he said to the children, Now listen, I'm going to release this wasp from my hand, but you're going to be okay. The children says, Please, Dad, don't let go of that wasp. We don't want to get stung. The dad says, you'll be okay. And he opened up that hand and that wasp flew out. He said to the children, you have nothing to fear. They said, we're still afraid of that wasp. The dad says, you don't have to worry about that wasp because when I grabbed him in my hand, he stung me in the palm of my hand. He has no more stinger in him. You are okay. His stinger is gone. I think about what Paul says. Death has lost its sting. Listen, if you know Christ... You will not experience that second death. But if you do not know Christ, you will experience separation from God. That is the second death. Oh, I want you to know if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God is near in heaven. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote that book, The Last Battle. And just before he passed, he penned these words about heaven. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. Come further up. Come further in. Heaven is my home. You know, the great thing about heaven is not just the streets of gold, not the fact that there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more guilt, the former things done away with. The greatest thing about heaven is that God is near. That is the home of God. What makes heaven heaven is that's where Jesus is. What we've learned so far, that all things in heaven are new. We've learned, secondly, that God is near in heaven. Well, there's a third thing that I want you to know about heaven. And when we get to heaven, we will need for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Revelation 21.6 says, And he said to me, I am the Alpha and the Omega to him who is the spring of water of life. John mentions the spring of water of life. You know, as I think about this, this is amazing to think about. In Isaiah 40, 31, you know this verse. It's a very popular verse. 
It says that they who wait on the Lord, they renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagle. They run and they don't become weary. They walk and they do not faint. How is that made possible? It is made possible because God supplies everything you need to finish the race. When you get to heaven, you're going to need for nothing. Now, as we think about the need for nothing, there's water in that river, right? That spring of water that John refers to. There's that river that goes right down the center boulevard of heaven. There's also a tree of life in heaven. The reason we will not need anything is because there's something special about that spring of water in that river of life. I go back to the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4. You know this story. You know it very well, right? Jesus is going, and, uh, and she comes across uh, you know, a woman of Samaria and says, hey, Jesus says to her, can you get me something to drink? And, and Jesus gets the response from the Samaritan woman like, wait a minute. You know, we as Samaritans don't have anything to do with you Jews, and they hated each other. And the, the Samaritans were, were, were outcasts, and the reason they were outcasts is because they, they, were, they were hybrid, right? Because they were part Jew and part Gentile. And, and basically what happened, it was intermarriages between these two people. And as a result, nobody liked them, right? The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And, and they had nothing to do with each other. And we discover that Jesus asked this woman to get him a cup of water. And the woman says, why are you speaking to me? And then Jesus says to her, you know, everyone who drinks of this water and this well, they're going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I should give him will become in him a, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is talking about the fact that when you go to heaven, you need nothing because you have this water of everlasting life. Now, when we get to heaven, we will have no needs. Billy Graham said this, on earth, we are constantly getting thirsty. In heaven, we will never thirst again. God will prepare everything for our perfect happiness in heaven. And then I love this next little phrase. Right For you animal lovers, you're going to love this one too. Billy Graham says, and if it takes my dog being there, I believe he'd be there. I want you to know you will have no needs whatsoever in heaven because God will take care of all of your needs. Well, there's one other thing we've got to look at today on this subject of heaven. We said all things are new in heaven, that God is near in heaven, that heaven, number three, is a place that you'll, you'll never lack for anything. And heaven is also a place of nevers and no mores. John the Revelator, uh, in Revelation 21, verse number four says, And he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And then he says there's going to be some things that you'll never experience anymore. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. Why? Because the former things are passed away. In Psalm 56, David is writing about the difficulties he was having at a time in his life. He was under siege by the Philistines and he was taken captive. And as he's taken captive, David writes these words You have kept counting my tossings, you put my tears in your bottle. David was going through a difficult time, and he begins this sad psalms with these words. Psalm 56, 1. Be gracious to me, O God, 
for man is trampling on me all day long. These attackers oppress me. You see, the Philistines had captured David and Gath, and David was at a time when he's writing this, this psalm. He's finding himself as a, a prisoner of war, and he had reason to cry out and to be sorrowful. But David says that his struggles are recorded in God's book, and that God takes the tears that he sheds during this time of torment, during this time of being a prisoner of war. God takes these tears and he puts them in a bottle. What does this poetic language mean? It means that God takes the sorrows of our lives today and he stores them in a bottle for us. You know, all the events of our lives are written in the book. You know, the, the idea behind keeping the tears in the bottle is a remembrance. David is expressing a deep trust in God that God will remember his sorrow and God will take his tears and he'll never forget about him. David is confident that God is on his side. He says in the middle of all this troubling time, he says, this I know. Psalm 56, 9, he says, this I know. God is for me. And in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Wow. Maybe you're listening to the message today, and you're looking forward to heaven. I just can't wait to go to heaven. There are some things that you can't do in heaven. You never had the opportunity to invest in heaven. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As I was thinking about this verse and thinking about how we, can, we can't take it with us, but we certainly can send it on, a, on ahead, I think there's two ways that we can send treasures on ahead to heaven. Number one is by investing in God's work, investing in advancing God's kingdom by generously and faithfully giving to your church. You know, as you give tithes and offerings to your church, your church uses that money for the expenses of operating that church, for the expense of sending missionaries, sharing the gospel wherever they go. You know, even in this day and age, most people who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ do so because of a church. Friends of theirs attend a church, they share the gospel with them, they get saved, they get baptized, they get added to the church, they grow in their faith. All this is made possible because we send the money ahead. Somebody put it this way. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. You can't take it with you, but you certainly send it on ahead. So by supporting God's church, you are making an investment in eternity. But there's another way that you can send treasures on ahead, and that is by sharing the gospel with those you come in contact with. Wherever you go, tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I'll ask my congregation this question. I'll say, when you get to heaven, is anybody going to come up to you and say, thank you? You shared the gospel with me. Oh, I'm ultimately here because of Christ, but you were that conduit that shared the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, we have this opportunity to share the gospel wherever we go. A.W. Tozer said this, I can safely say, on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God, 
that any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. You know, as we prepare for heaven, we prepare by sending treasures ahead, by sharing the gospel, and by worshiping. You know, as we worship now at church, we are preparing to worship in heaven. Did you know that your whole life is a preparation for heaven? Are you ready? The last thing I want to share with you in just a minute or so is the fact that you can know you're going to heaven for sure. You can know for sure you're going to heaven. The Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? The Bible says that God has given us this word so that we might know that we have everlasting life. You can say a simple little prayer. A simple little prayer like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, by faith, accept the gift of salvation made possible because Jesus rose again from the dead. I put my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask that you become my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are saved. That's all there is to it. Now listen, if you just made that decision, would you shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365? Send me a text message at 252-267-2365. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to give you something that will help you on your journey. Hey, listen, thank you so much for joining us today in the broadcast. I am praying for you. And if I can help you, I am here for you. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.